frankly, I think something that distinguishes people is to do what you say you're going to do. So there are a lot of people who say yes to many things and don't follow through. Follow through. Right. And I think if you can distinguish yourself in any role, right. uh, you know, just starting out or more senior, if you're known as somebody that is reliable or tries like heck to do what they say they're going to do, you won't always be successful, that that will distinguish you and lead to success in your career. Hello and welcome to another edition of TrekCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council. From deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. We're back with more of the best advice, best insights, and best stories from Season 2 of our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series. Today you'll hear from Mark Gibson of JLL Capital Markets, Sue Ansel of Gables Residential, and Bill Cawley of Cawley Partners. Bill usually steers the ship on these interviews, so you're going to hear from him a lot today. These are condensed versions of much longer interviews that cover topics like their rise through the commercial real estate industry here in Dallas, their interests outside of the office, and their outlook for the future of the DFW Metroplex. Each full-length interview is available for free through this podcast and our YouTube channel. Our last episode featured Craig Hall of Hall Group, Lucy Billingsley of Billingsley Company, and Ray Washburn of Charter Holdings, so go check those out as well. Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to thank the Dallas Business Journal for sponsoring our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series. Visit the Dallas Business Journal online at bizjournals.com backslash Dallas for the latest breaking business news and exclusive reporting on the hottest topics fueling North Texas's growth. Subscribe to their many newsletters from their vast network of Business Journal's publications, and for more interviews with DFW business leaders and personalities, subscribe to their weekly Texas Business Minds podcast, available wherever you download podcasts. I'd also like to remind you that applications for the deal, from acquisition to disposition, are due this Wednesday, August 3rd, by 5.30 p.m. The deal is our newest educational program. It's a five-part course that explores the full scope of the commercial real estate transaction process, covering crucial topics like site selection, sourcing and structuring capital, day-to-day -day operations, and, of course, the acquisition and disposition of a property. You can apply for all five modules or just your favorites right now through our website. We'll put the registration link in the show notes. Again, the deadline is this Wednesday, August 3rd, by 5.30 p.m. Now, here's the very best from our Legends of Commercial Real Estate interviews with Mark Gibson, Sue Ansel, and Bill Cawley, right here on TrackCast. So, like, let's start with the basics. How did you get to Dallas? Why Dallas? I mean, are you from Dallas? Where, how did, where'd you come from? No, actually, uh, just a quick story. I grew up in Houston. I was the first person in my family to go to college. Uh, I only went to college uh, to play sports. Mm -hmm. um, ended up at the University of Texas through a long way of saying that. Um, Did you play sport football at, at, at Texas? Well, play is a stretch on the word, but I was on the bench. You were on the team. And I was on the team. Uh, I was That's probably should get the Heisman for the best bench warmer now and then. <laughs> um, but it was, a, it was a really great experience, and I loved school. Um, and 
love UT. So it was a great experience, and um, I went from University of Texas to work at a bank in Houston, and then I was going to law school at night, and decided. That, so did you think you wanted to be a lawyer, or was yeah? It? I mean, I enjoyed okay. some of the business law yeah. uh, courses I took at UT. And, yeah. Uh, so I was doing both of those and then had decided uh, somewhat, um, I, mean, I say everything in my life is through divine intervention, so I need to get that on the table. Yeah. Um, which means essentially I can take no credit uh, right. for anything that might have happened because I have great partners and truly been very blessed. So I, I would just say that uh, I had this uh, desire to not be a lawyer all of a sudden and be a banker and it just so happened that I met two of my original partners John Finolio and Hal Holiday and they gave me an opportunity and I went over to them and uh, from that point on became a partner and, and eventually did you to Dallas or how'd you get to Dallas well in Dallas I was in Houston I said geez you know we we have a business in Houston we don't really have one in Dallas and um, my wife was from Dallas and I said geez you know why don't I go help Dallas. And importantly, um, I called Scott Dennis and said, who do you think is the best um, mortgage banker at the time and, and intermediary in Dallas? And he said, Jody Thornton. So really our success in Dallas is due to Jody Thornton starting the office here. Uh, and I so, um, what was Jody before you guys Jody came? was at a, a different mortgage company. Okay, before that, he was at Pete Marlick. I think I met you guys a, right after you started the, the yeah. business. Oh, well, yeah. you know, so Jody started the business here, and uh, I so enjoyed working with him and enjoyed him as a person that that really is what sparked the move. So um, I was overseeing Dallas, but Jody and I became friends, and uh, we just had complimentary but different skill sets and I said geez this is great and I asked my wife to move back from Houston to Dallas and that was that's probably an immediate that's, that's right. the story yeah right okay and so like when being a banker did you kind of know hey this isn't for me I, I mean when you were you not I know you're a form of a banker but I mean a typical banking yeah job and it's just, changed quite a bit so yeah. I'll be but at the time um you know, it, it was a large corporation, an HR department. Yeah, you had you had very set, um, you know, bonus components, etc. And I just said, "Gosh, I'd, I'd rather be just for me, right, in a business where I'll take the risk on myself, totally. but I'd like to get paid for what I do." Yeah, you're uh, a leader, not a follower, in my opinion. Well, and I, I don't, I don't think you'd be a great employee. I. <laughs> I mean, Pro probably. I mean, be, if you uh, couldn't be, if you couldn't, I mean, you have passion for what you do. This is just my view of you. I mean, yeah. you have passion. You should lead. I mean, because you're a great leader, because you set good examples and you believe in yourself, right? For good or for for good or bad, yeah, I would rather bet me too uh, on myself. Me too. And and try and give it a go. And if I failed, then there were other things I could have done at the time. But if I didn't do it, and I think this is really important, um, I would always question totally. uh, if I should have, could have, would have. And right. one of the things that I did, even playing football in college, was 
was it hard? Yeah. Did I have the talent? Really? No. But I had a heart and I really wanted to do it. And I looked back on that at the time and I said, well, gosh, I would really be angry at myself and disappointed in myself if I didn't live life fully at every stage. So I never want to look back and go, man, I wish I would have. Right. And that, from that moment in college, has been the defining thing in my life. And really, I attribute it to my faith and just going, look, we're put here. We're given certain skills, and let's go maximize it. Let's 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 give let's leave it all in the field. So, what's what interests you have outside of work? So, are you I love hunter, outdoors? Fishing? Yeah, I mean, anything what do you do? outdoors. Uh, so, I am. Uh, I, I I just marvel at um, God's creation. So. Any lakes, any rivers, any mountains, any oceans, uh, anything that I can be in and uh, enjoy it, uh, whether it's fishing or scuba diving or... Are you a hunter? Like we, Are you a deer hunter or love, anything like that? I love to hunt uh, different things in yeah. different places. Uh, but again, it's a it's an outdoor activity. So right. hiking and fishing are probably my two right. favorite things to do. And are you more of a fly fisherman than a... Do you like to fly fish? Is I love that, to fly fish. Yeah. It's, a, it's a passion. Yeah, I like it, but I'm I'm like a rookie. It's frustrating, <laughs> and I go on a cup one fishing trip a year, two fishing trips. One where you're doing a bait caster, and one where you're fly fishing. I actually enjoy the fly fishing more, even though I'm a lot more frustrated because you've got to, it takes a lot more finesse. And when you're with somebody that's just you know can loop the it can yeah. do all the work. It's it's uh, it's once you once you do it, and once you get it a little bit and you catch a couple it's of fish it's really fun totally agree yeah, it's it just a, it's it's more finesse it's art right it is right. it really is okay so business we're sitting in a world a lot of upheaval i kind of think we're in the one of the best cities we could be sitting in everybody always looks to mark gibson for his annual forecast on what's going to happen what's your view of dallas what do you i mean what do you think the next 10 20 years look like for us I think we're very uh, blessed to be here, actually, because um, there is no uh, doubt that you're going to have continued employment and population growth. That that has not changed for a very long period of time for a host of reasons. Um, And, you know, from safety to uh, regulatory environments to cost of living to can-do spirit yeah. that exists here, the entrepreneurial network uh, that is prevalent in Dallas. Um, all those reasons, uh, I see continued employment and population growth, unless something changes, which, you know, the pandemic is, yeah. is one of these really interesting things that you never know. So it's very difficult to prognosticate about, oh, gosh, we got this 10-year run because a lot of things could change. But... I do think that the fundamental constructs of government and business and entrepreneurial spirit, uh, if those stay intact and are smart business practices and smart governance practices and just basic common sense, then it's going to be with us a while. And I think that's really good. And that's really for every Texas city. Um, Right. uh, Across it. They're very different. Uh, and they have very different engines that drive them. But Dallas is unique in that it's highly diversified uh, in terms of the business industry, SIC code standpoint. 
And that's very attractive yeah. uh, to a lot. So when you think about major corporate uh, relocations, uh, all, all you have to do is I think they're the coming. Is, well, no, they're already here. Right, and they're uh, going to keep and coming. And they're though. going to keep uh, coming for a host of reasons. So I, I'm very bullish. So am I. And have been bullish for uh, quite some time. Now, that's not talking about necessarily what we do every day, but which is real estate pricing and where is it going, and right. et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of the fundamental drivers of Dallas as a city, and real estate, frankly, for that reason, we're highly correlated to population employment growth. Yeah. So if both of those continue to happen, then it's really good. You know, with the pandemic, um, when it started, I thought 90 days, we're in and out of this thing, no big deal. Had no view of reality of how deep it was. But actually, we all came through this thing pretty good. I mean, you know, and again, there were lives lost. There were, you know, uh, a lot of pain, things like that. But I think economically or fiscally, it seems like the real estate business managed it pretty well. Now, I know... As different asset classes were hurt at different levels. I guess I look at it from an office guy, but but I just think everybody managed it about as good as they could. Yeah, my, my view of the pandemic uh, will have a, a lot of uh, lessons learned and takeaways, but I guess the greatest takeaway for me is one of humility. Because who would have ever predicted um, it would have lasted this long, number one. Right. Number two, who would have ever predicted uh, the quick uh, adoption of various technology platforms? And we all had to learn it very quickly, and that was really interesting. Um, who would have predicted the rise in second home values? And who would have predicted the uh, stock market activity that would have happened? So. When I look at it, we're still in it, obviously, but when I look at it and I look back at it, I always try to think about, well, what are the lessons? And while you know, I've been doing what I do for quite some time, and I am humbled almost every day, but this one was very humbling because mm -hmm. it, I've seen a lot of things in my career uh, and know how to address certain items, but when you get thrown a curveball, it's just intellectually fascinating that we never quite get there because there's always going to be something different mm -hmm. that we have to use our experiences to navigate through and this is one of those we really had to navigate through. yeah so when you think about work from home and back to the office and uh, technology components and culture and talent as well as continuing to create and innovate uh, uh you know your company or your product it was it was as um I would say is as stressful and as, you know, I don't think I've worked as hard in my career. Right. And I don't think I have been as intellectually challenged in my life, which comes to the stress because of people that, mm -hmm. which is all. Yeah, you're leading a big group. And that's right. what we, uh, the people are our only real asset. Uh, yeah. So very care, very much care about uh, every single person. So, how do you do all that and keep it together and keep employment at a level that we needed to keep it at? So it's um, it was a really challenging environment. But at the same time, when I say challenging, it was fascinating. Let's say college kid, not a college, yeah. wants to get in the real estate business. Yeah. 
comes to talk to Mark Gibson. Uh, what advice? I mean, I, I'm, I, I, I try to help as many people looking for work as possible by being honest with them and giving them good guidance. And, you know, mine is about you got to get with the right people, people that care about you because you want to get into like I, I always recommend JLL as if because you guys are playing the game at a really big level and some it allows a young person if they can add value to a team to really see all facets mm -hmm. of the business and kind of decide where their passion is or if it's a fit for them because it's more about getting in the right position and then meeting the right people mm -hmm. what kind of what do you tell people that because they want to be Mark Gibson I mean what do you tell somebody starting out because it's so hard if you're 23, I mean, nobody's going to hire you if you're 23 to, to lead. You have to follow and learn, right? Be a, be a piece of a team or a part of it. Any, any wisdom you got for young people? On what yeah, I would, say, uh, I would say a couple things. One is uh, uh, you said they want to be Mark Gibson. You need to first set your sights much higher, higher than that. Yeah. Yeah, a hell of a lot higher. So uh, let's have that out of the way. But I would say uh, the most important thing is to get into an environment where you can learn the most, the fastest. So find out where you can learn the most, the fastest. And number two is, and this is really important to me personally, um, you need to learn how to do business the right way because there is a lot of gray in business and we have example after example after example to where people <clears throat> diminish their character or their integrity unknowingly in many cases because they just haven't been taught uh, what is white and what is black mm -hmm. and they operate in the gray area so I would counsel people to so get around an environment that is happening. And so just think about educate. Your education really starts after college. Right. Totally. Um, I mean, that's real education. It was pregame, now it's game time. And you gotta get that education should continue the rest of your life. So go find something that can get it to you quickly that you can learn as fast as you possibly can. And then number two is be very, very careful on who you affiliate with because it will stay with you the rest of your life. Um, so make certain that you're with people of integrity and character and actually know how to tell the truth, which today, despite the circumstances, by the way, that is really important because it's such a business differentiator. It's everything. Uh, ironically, it's a really interesting differentiator. So if you can do those two things, it'd be great. Right. And don't focus on the money. Would you agree with that? Don't focus on The money will become, and I'm saying this as someone who, I was the first person to go to college uh, in my family. <clears throat> um, I had to get out and make money. Uh, pay rent and yeah. car payments and all the things that everybody does. So I know it's important to basically live, but it will, in hindsight, be immaterial relative to what I just said, mm -hmm. two components, learning totally. and be around people that teach you the right way to do business. Right. Okay, so like when uh, when your partners come to you and say, okay, Mark, uh, you're not effective anymore. It's time for you to go fishing. Mm -hmm. I mean, when, when you get 
beyond or at the end of maybe your career? Like, for me, what's important to me is I don't care about a legacy for me. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just kind of want to make sure that I gave something back. And in my own little way, it's a little better place for my efforts. And, you know, it's not... I used to be when I was young, oh, I built that building. That building will be there after I'm there. Nobody cares. You know, I mean, they're going to have a garage sale when we die, and it's just everybody's going to move on, you know? But is there something that really drives you that you really want to make sure you've yeah. gotten done when, before you're done? Yeah, there are two things um, that are goals of mine. Uh, we'll see if it happens. One is, I think, the, the true definition of leadership is to leave a company or a team or whatever it is better than when you found it. If you can do that, that would be a win. Huge. And secondly, uh, I personally would like that when it is my time to exit, whenever that is, that I would rather them say, gosh, we're going to miss them. Yeah. You know, I really uh, enjoyed working with them or really appreciate things you taught me and yeah. you motivated me and yeah. tough love or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, I'm going to miss them. Versus, man, I'm glad that ass is gone. <laughs> uh, so, I don't think you have to worry about so I really, uh, and that goes with the first, you know, leave something better um, then you found it. And that's all walks of life. Right. Um, could be anything that one does. But right. if you have that mentality, I'm, you know, I'm just here to make it better. Right. Uh, it's not all about me. And, uh, you know, if, if it's all about we and you can collectively move the ball forward, that's a pretty cool thing to leave, yeah. I think. So those would be my two yeah. answers. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about our upcoming Bank of Texas Speaker Series event. On Wednesday, August 17th, we'll be back at Arts District Mansion for an exclusive one-on-one -on -one conversation between Bill Cawley and Crescent Real Estate co-founder John Goff. And trust me, you won't want to miss that. Get your tickets now at recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events. Special thanks to our sponsors, Bank of Texas, Stewart Title, and the Dallas Morning News for their support of Speaker Series. Now, let's hear from Sue Ansel of Gables Residential. So first of all, how did you get to Dallas? How did you, like when you were in college, was it I'm going to go run a big multifamily business or what, what did you think you wanted to do as you were growing up and getting into your career? So the, I, it was all serendipitous to be in the real estate business. That was never part of the grand plan. I know lots of people think about real estate as a way to have a career that was not Part of my plan. I went to a small liberal arts school in Indiana. I majored in economics and I think I thought I was going to go to work in banking or do something on the financial front uh, coming out of college. Right. I graduated in 1982. It was a time when it was hard to find jobs. There was a, there was a slowdown at that time. Mm -hmm. And I was frankly uh, recruited by an alum who this was the first time he came and recruited at DePauw. And I, just to show you how... So you went to like interviews there? Went to interviews there just to show you how naive oh, I was. He came and was setting up something at, on campus. And I remember Career Services called and said, hey, there's a new organization that's coming to campus. Do you want to interview? 
I don't think that happens anymore, but they called and said, do you want to interview? They did it when I was in school, for yeah. sure. And I said, I don't know. Do you think it's a good company? This is at a time where you can't find jobs, and I was trying to be selective. Right. And they said, oh, yeah, it's a good, good company. So it, uh, fortunately, I said yes and uh, was hired as a financial analyst, financial analyst for a real estate tax syndication firm that was based in Stamford, Connecticut. Went there, fell in love with the real estate industry. When I was hired, I was, it was a small shop. I think I was the 33rd or 39th employee. I was with that organization for a total of five years. And in the period of time that I was there, the company grew from 30 plus employees to 1,500 plus employees because we grew in the segments of the business. So in addition to just setting up the, the tax shelters, we became the general partners of the business. We set up a management company, sort of grew what we were doing. So I had a great opportunity in the organization to move quickly and take on lots of different jobs yeah. because it was growing so quickly. One of the things that I was asked to do after I'd been in Connecticut for three years was to move to Dallas for a period of two years. We were struggling with our property management company that was starting up. They said, Sue, would you go to figure out what's wrong with the property management business, fix it, and come back? There was nothing wrong with the property management business. It was the mid-80s. Tax laws were changing. The world was changing. Yeah. And so that's how I got to Dallas, and I've stayed there ever since. And so, like, when you, like, were your parents uh, professionals? I mean, were they people that you wanted to emulate, or, you know, what kind of lives did they live? Yeah, absolutely. So my dad worked for one company his whole life. He worked for Illinois Tool Works, Fortune 500 company. Uh -huh. He is an accountant. So he was, in, yeah, okay. So financially based. And my mom was a school teacher. Got she. It. She stayed home. I have one sibling. I have an older brother. So she taught when he was before he was born. Stopped teaching when he was born, and did went back to teaching when I was in the first grade. So, mm -hmm. and frankly, she did it because uh, the family loved to travel, and she thought if she brought in some extra income, that would give us the opportunity as a family to travel. So, like when you like when I was young, I really I was I looked up to my dad. My dad was in the real estate business in a small town. So I kind of always gravitated that way, even though I didn't know what it meant. Like when you were growing up, I mean, were you always career driven or, or did you always know that that was going to be important to you? I did. I, I always uh, expected to go into business. I was fortunate to grow up in a family where they didn't believe that anything I wanted to do, I couldn't do. I think about the gener generation of women before me, and they did not have those kinds of opportunities. That's true. My mom or, or people, frankly, not that much older than I am, the right. women just didn't have those opportunities. So I feel so fortunate right. to be on the shoulders of those who came before right. me. And right. I, feel, I feel responsibility, frankly, to continue those opportunities to the extent I can for younger women. Yeah. And so like work ethic. Um, I'm a big believer in, I'd rather see somebody, like when I interview somebody, I think grit or drive to me is more important than intelligence. I think intelligence is obviously important, but I, I just think, you know, people that want it badly, I'll, I'll take the, that person over anybody else because I think they can learn what, what's right. What's your views of what drove your success? Why? And, and like a young person that's listening to this, what is important for them, in your opinion, to have people rely on them and, and, and want them to be part of their team? 
I would tell a young person you cannot underestimate the value of hard work. Uh, you know, some people are naturally get it and figure it out, but if they're mm -hmm. not willing to put in the time and the effort, they're going to struggle to, to create as much value. I would tell a young person for their own benefit and for the firms in which they work, be a lifelong learner. Yes. So in my career, I've loved to do what I was doing. And when I got to the point in time where I felt like, okay, I've learned what I can in this area, I tried to expand my responsibilities or change my responsibilities. And I would tell a young person, do that because it will, it will make you more valuable to yourself right. if you want to leave and it will make you far more valuable to your company. Right. So I would, I would tell somebody to do that. And then frankly, I think something that distinguishes people is to do what you say you're going to do. So there are a lot of people who say yes to many things and don't follow through. Follow through. Right. And I think if you can distinguish yourself in any role, right. uh, you know, just starting out or more senior, if you're known as somebody that is reliable or tries like heck to do what they say they're going to do, you won't always be successful, that that will distinguish you and lead to success in your career. Yeah, because I, you know, I, I think career, a big part of it, success is relationships, like who you get, like picking the right company to work for or someone that cares about you or the company actually cares about you and your future so that I, I just think as you go, one, you need to be reliable, right? Number one, you need to do what you say you're going to do. My dad used to tell me, you know, and got to rely on your lender, right? Always right. pay your lender back. But but um, it's it's about meeting and a pouring into relationships. What's your view on relationships? Oh, it's so critical. I mean, how does a young person get one? I mean, I think I think it, it's it's hard when we're younger because. None of our peers, like you and I now, our peers are all in decision-making positions. So we can get in at the right level in a company and and communicate with somebody that's got some authority. But when you're like 25 and 30, it's it's that much harder. I'll tell you, I, that one of the things that I fear most about COVID is frankly for our young people. Yes. Because I think, first of all, I think company culture is critical. Yeah. It is critical for us. And I think a lot of that culture comes from being together and the random bump in the hall, et cetera. There's ways to work around that. And I'm right. so thankful for Zoom, but I'm also so tired of Zoom. But I'm th company culture is hard to, to replicate, but it's replicable in a hybrid or dynamic work environment. But for the young people that are just starting out in their careers, I learned so many things carrying somebody's bags or being in the room and listening to the phone call right. or somebody saying, hey, this is, or, or asking questions. And so for young people today who in a dynamic work environment don't have that same opportunity, I worry that their careers are, will be stunted as a result, or it will be much harder to distinguish themselves. And that's, I think about my relationships. I, I'm sure the same is true with you. We're at the level where we have the ability to do that but that's over years and years of right. working together or bumping into people right. or working on a project or seeing somebody at a, an event. Cool. Like I think our, my business is collaborative and I think all business. And, you know, as an office building developer, I want people back at work, right? Because I, I want them in office. But I, I just think that everybody wants to be together and be back and collaborate. And I totally agree. <clears throat> you know, you get somebody that's young that's trying to climb in a business, they don't get the relationships or the FaceTime with those people that can really make a difference. I think Jamie Dimon just came out and said, 
the people that are going to get promoted are the people that are in front of me every day that I, I, I build a relationship I, with. I agree. And learning by osmosis. The thing I don't understand is why so many cities are have a negative view of multifamily when it's such a, like for me, if I'm building an office building, I need multifamily. I need walkable, walkable housing and retail and mixed use type developments. But but those are the bodies. Those are the people that, that feed everything that the cities want. Absolutely. And, and, and I don't know why there's such a, they just, and I don't want to talk negatively about cities, but they just don't get it. They don't. And frankly, there's been some bad actors in the right. ownership land of multifamily. But there's, you know, even in the entitlement process, there is a belief that we don't want a bunch of renters. The students are going to come in and take our school districts down. Right. Or uh, I, I think they're inappropriately worried about issues that um, won't happen. But there are there are there are bad actors and good actors on all front. And yeah. and frankly, nothing makes a city more vibrant, in my opinion, than live, work, play. There's a lot of conversation right now, and and has been during COVID, that everybody's going to move out of the city uh, to you know they want to spread out, they want to go to the mountains or the beach and and some people do and some people can work from sure. home that's great sure i do not believe the city's dead i think a lot of young people moved out totally agree. with their parents for a while they got there and they said oh gosh this stinks i don't want to be here this is right. dolesville i'm going yeah. back to the city and we're seeing that right well I, I think people misread people wanting a more balanced life than wanting out of the cities i mean like people had uh, our business dead and gone, right? Nobody's right. ever coming back to the office. And I think they're wrong. Now, I th I'm glad I'm in the South. I think sure. I think there's certain markets that office may be challenged, but um, I think people are gonna just keep coming to Dallas. What you, I mean. I agree, but I'm gonna ask you a question first. Yeah. What are you seeing on the leasing front on the office side? Has activity picked up? Okay, so we, um, I own uh, 3 million feet, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm a trader, so mm -hmm. I don't keep things long term. Mm -hmm. So, but I have 3 million feet. And I was building three buildings during COVID. I had 13 tenants uh, go away, mm -hmm. file bankruptcy or, or go away. 13 out of 3 million feet, that's nothing. That's not a lot. I had maybe 30 that needed some rent deferral. And I went for the relationship like you did. I just said, yes. I tried not to just give it to them, but amortize it back in with no interest. Mm -hmm. I just tried to be really relational. I didn't ask for financial statements. I mean, if they've been a good tenant, why do I need to go right. put them through a bunch of baloney? And why do you want to refill them with somebody else that you don't? Well, and a lot of people I think were predatory. They tried to get more term and stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't do any of that. And uh, I think that'll pay. pay. But anyway, our business was good, mm -hmm. Then, it, but it stopped anything new. And I thought it would kick in, in labor on Labor Day. Mm -hmm. It actually started in June, okay. and we've been very busy. Now, I think it's more inbound business. Mm -hmm. I would say rents for me, um, rental activity is pre-COVID mm -hmm. and going up because costs are going up. And um, I think it's been kind of a non-event. Now, I do think I've had some tenants drop maybe 10 or 15% of their space when they renew because... Mm -hmm. Some people are having accounting or call center use or something going home, mm -hmm. but but all the inbound people are going to uh, absorb that space. So, to your to your earlier question and answer on inbound space, what's happening in the southeast? I mean, we are so fortunate to be where we are. Wow. The it is 
I think what we're seeing now, frankly, is just an acceleration of the trends that were already in place. Totally. People, when I go out to our properties and, and say, what's new? Where are our residents coming from? The number one answer, depend where I am, it's either California or New York or New York, New York and California. Right. And people are fleeing the high cost states. So right. we're he, in the, here in Texas, frankly, in the southeast in Florida, we're the beneficiaries of having a business-friendly state where the costs are so much less. I think you're going to continue to see that acceleration. I guess Tesla announced yesterday that uh, they're moving their headquarters right. to Austin. I mean, Austin is on fire. Now, there's some infrastructure issues with everybody moving to right. these parts of the country. It doesn't seem to be slowing down. No. So you were in the second ALC class? I was. Yes. So tell me a little bit about that and how your involvement at Trek has benefited you in, in, in your career. I mean, is there anything come to mind there? First of all, I was, and we were a strong and mighty group. I think there were only 13 of us in the class at the time. And frankly, I made lifelong friends in that class. Still today. Still today. Yeah. Uh, a number of, I'll, I'll brag on that group, a number of that group have gone on to be leaders of the Real Estate Council with Jim Barry and Mike Ablon and important yeah. leadership roles, Lee Bell. And, I mean, the group throughout has been very, very involved. Right right. And so it was great to, you talked earlier about the importance of relationships. Yeah, Those are people I may have met along the way, may not have met along the way, but they're lifelong friends and they're great. I mean, mm -hmm. think about all the things that the, those folks and everybody else in that class has right. done. So that's been terrific. For me, at the time, I was moving into the development side of business. I told you I've done lots of different uh, parts of business, uh, of the business segments of the business, and frankly, a lot of that group was more important relationally in the development side of the business to me, so what they did. So that's been quite valuable. And then just watching that group and their success, I think, has inspired all of us to lean in and do what's right, yeah. do what's right for the community, right, and and be involved. So it's great. Uh, it's been uh, terrific leader, learning yeah, opportunity. Yeah, like I, I'm a, I, and again, I just think life's all about the relationships, right? Meeting the right people and then pouring into those relationships. And then, because, um, and one of the things for me with Trek, I got to Trek late. I mean, I got, I mean, I was a member of NACTAR and I was in a lot of uh, 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 real estate related groups. And I always looked at Trek uh, positively. Mm -hmm. I always thought, that's best in class. But I was just never a member. I'd never been asked to be a member. And then maybe five, six years ago, I got involved and <clears throat> I went to a board meeting and a couple and I didn't really have much going on. Mm -hmm. And I went back to, it was Rand Holman at the time. I said, Rand, you got to give me something to do because I got to feel like I've, I got to get plugged in here. And he plugged you in. He you, did. You well, he you, did plug me in. I plugged my, you know. I was going to say, and, we took care of that, that opportunity for you. Right. But great. it's been a great ride because... It's and it's really all the relationships. It's the people. It's just unbelievable. Swope and Ablon and all the people think are just the, really the, special people. Yeah, think of the leaders that have gone through there and how committed they have been to not only the not only our real estate industry but to the community. It's I you know I really believe it's the good hearts and minds that are dedicated to making this place better. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's a bunch of can-do people. Agreed. You know, I just think it's best in class people. It's awesome. Yeah. It throughout the throughout the organization. It's yes. great. And it's a great way for young people to get plugged in. And frankly, you know, the young guns, there's it's been fun to watch the organization morph and change over time. Yeah. And and see it grow and create new opportunities. 
but I love it. I just love seeing the dy dy dynamic um, nature of what the organization has become. And, and Linda and her leadership, look, we have had, have had a lot of great leaders in those roles. I count most of them as close friends, yeah. but it just continues. Linda's yeah. really... I think Linda's special. I, like when I got chairman job, I was a little scared of Linda because <laughs> I went to her and I go, uh, you know, I, I'm not one that can't tell you what I think. And she says, bring it on, Collie. Yeah. And it's been wonderful. I love her. And, yeah. you know, one, it's relationship, but I also am proud of what Trek's doing in South Dallas Absolutely. and how they're giving back to the community. And I think they're, <clears throat> you know, the loan program, the, a the ALC, I mean, future leaders, I just think there's so many things they're doing that that are really helping our industry and our city. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Because, like, I'm one that um, when the George Floyd thing and all that stuff started happening, uh, being a white male, right, I've been, I've always had a good life. And I always, I said, okay, I want to do something, but I don't want to write a check. I want to make sure that what I'm doing matters, but I have to go figure it out, right? Because... I think it, I don't think anybody wants anybody to be mistreated or not have opportunity, right? And so I think Trek really gives you an outlet, one to to try to help and pour into it, and also educate us on those kind of issues. I, I couldn't agree more. One of the our, our class project uh, for my ALC class was uh, working in uh, Oak Cliff, and it was helping take a neighborhood we that was um, they were building some homes. Uh, uh, low-income homes, which was great. We built a park to take advantage of that. It morphed over time into building more homes that or it's the La Calle Diaz neighborhood, so down from the Eric Johnson mm -hmm. center there. But just plugging into a neighborhood at that level was really eye-opening to me. Right. And and helped to to your point. I've grown up, you know, very fortunate. Like I, we didn't grow up with money, but we didn't com do comfortable but life. I had right. A good right. Life, yeah. Good life. Right. So seeing that. And frankly, my view is uh, everything I've done with the Real Estate Council giving back, or, or any charity for that matter, I get so much more out of it than I give. It just it really helps ground uh, ground me. Gables as an organization for 20 years has, we've uh, called Gables Day. We close all of our office, all of our, on, our corporate offices and on-site offices, and we dedicate a day to the local community and giving back. And frankly, it's my favorite day of the year. And I think it is for most of our associates. And we've raised lots of money and contributed lots of hours. And as an organization, we can do a lot of things because of the, the uh, experiences and skills of our team that other organizations can't, but it's, but it's terrific. But as a developer, a real estate developer, you know, we're considered uh, rich and greedy, right, in many neighborhoods. And so our ability to give back, whether it's uh, dollars or time or experience and skills, is really important. So as I've gotten older, early in my life I didn't give. I guess I was scrapping to get, you know, but I think giving's better than getting. I agree. And I think doing it is better than writing a check because you get out there and you build relationship and you see and you feel. Because I think you get, like, I totally agree with you. Like, if you go give time to a charity or go give time back, you get so much more out of it than you give. And I think that's what really makes it special, right? And so like, what about affordable housing, like your industry? I mean, 
I know you're involved there. Tell me your view of that and how we solve that problem. It's such a knotty problem. It is. So my involvement in affordable housing really has been at the National Multi-Housing Council level more than, than in Dallas, although we're involved with it here as well. But frankly, uh, the cost of building a multifamily housing unit is 33% of it is tied to some form of government regulation, some sort of entitlement process. Right. If you layer that on top of costs, it's really difficult to build something that yeah. is affordable. Right. So I think there's a couple of things that we need to do. One is public-private partnerships. One is to really, not that any of the things that are included in this, you know, put in a new sidewalk or put in a new traffic light or support this park aren't important, but that as you, if you put that on the development, it's, it has to flow through to the renter. There's just, you know, we are in a capital intensive business mm -hmm. and our investors are looking for returns as well. So it's very difficult to uh, attract the capital that we need if there's not a return. Hence, totally. it has to roll through the renter, totally. right? So one is we've got to figure out some way to reduce those costs, public-private partnerships. And the other thing on the multifamily side Frankly, the zoning laws need to change. We have lots of places where you can't put build density, and we have a housing shortage. And the only way that this problem gets solved density. is by with density. Totally. And there's great ways to, to build density that's nice and affordable, but it's it, we need creative strategies to accomplish that. Yeah, okay. So, um, you know, I think... Um, I think the thing that's kind of your secret sauce for your business is, is that everybody's got to have a place to live, right? So it's it's a definite need. And then you have the people, the gap there with the homeless. And I, I think the homeless, for me, is <clears throat> it's more of a mental illness problem than it is not having housing, right? I it's think that's it's a mental difference. illness or an education yeah. problem. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry I didn't interrupt, but I couldn't agree with you no, more. You know, no, that's what I, I wanted you to go where you were going. But I mean, whatever you think. But I, my view is that we're putting our, our mentally ill on the street instead of we used to put them in I'm with you. I'm, what's, what's, what's different about when I grew up and you, when you grew up and today? And they weren't, they weren't terrific, which is why they went away. But we totally. used to have place to resources right. for people who are mentally ill right. where they could live. And, and there needed to be improvement, but <coughs> now there's no resources. We need to figure it out. We need to figure it out. Because it's, we're spending whatever we're spending reacting to it, right. the money's going up in smoke versus where it could be solving the problem, in my view. But, okay, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Okay. All right. So like going, if you look at the world, like I'm always one trying to find, is there any opportunity that you see out there in the real estate business or in the world? of investing that you think is something that everybody's missing, that you go, man, somebody should do this? I don't know that I would say somebody should do this, but mm -hmm. what I've learned in watching the single-family rental business develop and grow. So what do you think about that? So when it started, I thought it was just a transactional business. I thought we right. were, people were buying real estate who could afford it at pennies on the dollar. Right. Real estate's a cyclical business. This right. will change. You can turn around and sell right. it. It's turned into an operating business, and it's turned into an operating business because technology has changed to allow it to become much more efficient. I, what I, the opportunity I see going forward is I think we'll continue to benefit from 
technology that will allow us to do what we do in an ever more efficient business. Whether I talked a little bit about machine learning a few minutes ago and how it impacts what we see on our cell phones or devices, machine learning is going to impact everything, the way we run businesses, for better and for worse. And frankly, to figure out how to be smart about it, efficient about it, and create value. Right. Drive the needle. Well, kind of same to me. Just and I don't. I'm an office building guy, but like all the office building guys are becoming industrial developers, right? And it seems like everybody's going to do for rent homes. I mean, it just like the capital like, go, going there is crazy. It's crazy. And do you think it? You think the herd's going is going to overdo it? I think. Uh, I, th- I think the uh, build for rent. Two things, single-family rental, which is acquiring yeah. disparate houses. That's hard to do and hard to make it efficient. And and there will still be some opportunity, but maybe tapped out or tapped being out. I think the build-to-rent market may at some point um, run into some of the same entitlement challenges I, that I have on the multifamily side, totally which is I don't want a neighborhood of renters that come in and do all, these bad things, yeah. that do all these bad things. Yeah. Even though I think that the idea is kind of, I like the idea, you know, I think it makes some sense, but we just got done saying we all think, we both think that density is important, right? Because you don't solve the problem without going dense, and that's just going against that. Well, and frankly, from an environmental ESG standpoint, environmental standpoint, density helps us be more environmentally friendly. Right. I totally agree. And so... If we can create more density in cities, that will benefit us from a climate change standpoint over time. Hey, everyone. It's Bill again. Fight Night 33, Breaking Ground, is coming up on Thursday, September 29th at the Hilton Anatole. Since 1989, Fight Night has become a staple for the commercial real estate industry here in Dallas, raising more than $26 million in support of Trek community investors and our neighborhood revitalization partnerships. You can purchase a table at this year's Fight Night by emailing Kristen Urias at kurios at recouncil.com. We'll link to her email in the show notes. Now, back to the show. So we've spent a lot of time in these interviews talking about origin stories. What brought people to this city and this industry? Um, maybe they started their own company. How did they come to that? Or how did they make you know one business move versus another? We've heard your origin story in bits and pieces, and I'm sure you've talked about it over the years as well. But we haven't really talked about it in this space in full, and I I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell your story because I know you're, like me, you're not a Dallas uh, native Dallasite. We're both transplants. And I love hearing these kinds of stories. So how did you get to Dallas? Um, How did you end up in commercial real estate? And then how did, how did Cauley Partners come about? How did, how did we get to this conference room in this conversation? Well, um, I'm from the Midwest. I was born and raised on a farm, actually. Um, we weren't farmers. We were living in a home on a farm um, in a town of 10,000 people, LaSalle, Illinois. And um, my dad was my hero. I mean, I looked up to my dad. I had an older brother and two sisters, but... My, I just always clicked with my dad. We kind of really got along well. And my dad was in the real estate business. And he was in the real estate business in a really small town. So his his market was limited. But I really, 
from a young age, fifth, sixth grade, all I ever wanted to do was get into real estate. Now, I didn't know what it meant, but that's what I wanted. So went to college. I got married very young. Where'd you go to school? I went to Quincy University in Quincy, Illinois. I was not a great student. I was dyslexic. I didn't know what it was. So my grade point average, uh, I needed some leverage for my football coach to get into a college. I applied to 50 schools and was rejected by 50 of them. And then Quincy University got, got me in through my football coach. Um, I got married really young and I was married and I worked a couple of three jobs and all I wanted to do was get out of college. So college wasn't fun for me. It was just about getting the education. Sure. And then when I got out, uh, my dad had a real estate business and I kind of wanted to go to work for him, but he, um, he had an agreement with his partner that no, off, no, no siblings could come into the business. So I tried selling life insurance and I tried uh, remodeling houses and I, I just always wanted to be in the real estate business. So I went to my dad and I said, listen, either you're going to hire me or I'm going to go to work for somebody else. And he hired me and it just clicked. I was selling houses and store, leasing storefronts in a small town. But I, early on, I was frustrated because the market was small. So uh, I didn't feel like I could make a great living. I had to go. I wanted to play bigger. I didn't know if I could, but I wanted to. I came to Dallas on a vacation and it was in the early 80s and I just saw they were building office buildings everywhere. It was right before the RTC mess. And I just thought, my gosh, I mean, that's if there's ever been a city where a real estate guy belongs, it's Dallas. So it was kind of luck. So I went back to my dad and um, I said, Dad, I, I think I want to go try Texas. And he wanted me to take over his business. But as a good father would do, he said, listen, go. You can always come back. He said, I'd hoped you would take over our business, but if that's what you feel, go. And so I came and I, um, I came here and um, I had a hard time finding a job because I didn't know the city. So I started working, selling homes out of a trailer out by the airport. I was actually selling townhouses to uh, flight attendants. I would work weekends and I, I, I just wanted to get into commercial real estate. So I did that for a year and a half while I got my license. Got a little bit of money in my pocket because I, I had no money when I got here. And um, so I applied for jobs with Cushman, Swearingen, and CB, and they wouldn't hire me. So um, I started my own business, and which is probably a mistake because I never had anybody to compare what I was doing. You know, I was kind of in a vacuum on my own. And I just kept looking in the market for opportunities or something different I could do. And it's when the RTC days hit, when everything was going back to the banks and real estate values were plummeting. Um, so I started representing uh, bankrupt tenants. So tenants would go in and sign a 10-year lease for twice as much space as they need, but they'd get five years of free rent. So when it was time to pay rent, they couldn't pay it because they were in double the space they needed. It was just a house of cards. But they could pay rent on 10,000 feet if they're in 20, right? on what they actually needed. So I started focusing there and actually it worked. I mean, I started making quite a bit of, uh, of, of progress doing that. And then I brokered a deal to the Bass family in Fort Worth, a piece of land, and they asked me to come work there. So I shut my business down, went to work there. I worked under Rainwater and Bonnerman for the Robert Bass family for two years. And I learned a lot. I learned um, a lot of investing um, 
experience there. I didn't enjoy it because the culture was fractured. They were really good people, but it was very fractured culture. So um, I did that for a couple of years and then just decided to go back and then started my own business again. And then it took off from there. I got into brokerage because I thought I didn't have enough money to be a developer. But And as I got into brokerage, I built relationships and um, I was just always really totally committed to not failing. I mean, there were times when, you know, um, you know, there were some lean times. I was at a, at a point once in my, where my car was repossessed and my, uh, my house was posted for foreclosure. And uh, I'd have to go out to the street in the morning to turn the water on. But I just kept going and uh, it worked out. In, in looking back, and I guess my next question is for uh, the more entrepreneurial minded uh, young folks that sort of want to take their careers in that direction. Um, in, in looking back at the experiences you've had, the successes that you've had, um, are there what kinds of factors do folks need to consider before jumping in? Um, is there ever a right time? Is it sort of like, you know, having a baby, there's no right time per se to jump in. Um, and I'd imagine, you know, if you're going into business for yourself, you got to commit fully to it. Right. Mm -hmm. But what other criteria would you say for, for someone thinking about jumping in and making that name for themselves? What should be considered? What T's need to be crossed? What I's need to be dotted? Number one, I would say never focus on the money. Make sure you're, if you're going to work for someone, make sure it's someone that respects you and values what you do. There are people that need employees, but they don't actually value them. They kind of churn through a lot of employees because they don't reward good work. They just want you to do the work and they keep all the money. So number one, make sure you're going to work for people that will take care of you. Doesn't mean they're bad people if they won't take care of you, but why go work for somebody that won't share the wealth? Sure. Never focus on money. And I would say the other thing is, is like as far as a time, real estate is cyclical, but there's always opportunity. Now, in good times, it's harder to find opportunity to get a job because everybody's busy. In bad times is kind of when people move around. So I think if you're in a company and you're not happy about where you're at, when times are bad, it's easier to go find other opportunity because people have time. But I, I would just say it's focusing on getting with the right firm or the right people that will take care of you. Focusing on relationships instead of money. And number one, always do what you say you're going to do. I mean, I just think... You only have one reputation and without reputation, you've got nothing. Yeah, that that's for sure. Um, a, a really good piece of advice. Um, certainly I've, I've had experiences in my life and my working life thus far where, you know, if you don't necessarily do what you say you're going to, the blowback from that, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. It, it really is. That That's been something that, a piece of advice definitely in the last couple of years for me in particular has been really good to just sort of drill into my head. Well, like we have contracts, right? And really what, what's a contract for or a lease or a document? It's because 
something's not going right. Sure. You know, so you got to go back to this document. But a lot of people feel like if it's in writing, I'll honor it. But if you say it, you have to do it. Yeah. And I mean, I've done deals, you know, on a, on one piece of paper agreement. And again, I think it's important to document what you agree to. So you make sure there's no gray area where somebody misunderstood something. But, you know, people want to do business with people that they just feel will take care of them. And, and I don't think it's a competition to where I have to take advantage of you. I think there's a, in business, there's a common ground where you win and I win. Now, I want to make sure I'm going to win, but I don't think you have to take every nickel off the table or just negotiate until everybody's bleeding out of their ears. You know, it just needs to be more relational, in my opinion. Yeah. And maybe you make less money, but you know what? You cover more ground. How about in terms of team building? When you're putting, I don't know if I would say a, you know, a, a, an administrative team, it can be then right down to, I need a project uh, taken care of. And you're putting that group together. You're forming the Avengers, you know, like what factors, what's important to consider in constructing a team like that? So, you know, it's been, a, uh, when I was younger, bigger was better. So more, 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 right? So when I was first starting my career, I wanted a lot of employees. I, I just wanted more. And more isn't always better. I mean, um, and so I've made every mistake you can in leading people. Um, but I really think, like, first of all, I will say, I think I have the best team I've ever had. And my partner, Brian Neitzel, gets a lot of credit for helping assemble that team. But I think a team will follow if they know you care, right? And I also think that if you make a mistake, you need to correct the mistake compassionately. If somebody's in the wrong position in your company and they're floundering, I think with compassion and bridge to a new, the next opportunity, you have to go in with compassion and take care of them and get them in a position where they can succeed either within your company or outside your company. If it's like, hey, you know, this isn't working out here, but you're better off somewhere else. But it's, it's about taking care of them. And then the people that are there, I think people pay attention to what you say and what you do. And if you don't do what you say and they don't feel like you love them, they're not there for you. If they think you care and know you do, and you have some depth about your, your, who you are as a person, you're just real. I also think openness. I've made so many mistakes, but I think intimacy is created by being open and honest. I talk about my alcoholism. I talk about issues that have happened in my life. And I think if you open yourself up to people, I think it creates more intimacy and more of a bond and, and more of a connection so that you can you can have a more, a better relationship, whether it be you and I or people that work together. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, it's that sort of realness that, yeah, we have these different positions within the working dynamic, but we are still people, human right. beings in, in our society. Well, and it's about like every day, it's about keeping your confidence, right? So like when I remember when I was starting out, I was scared. I mean, is this right? Am I going to be able to pull this off? What about this? I remember I saved 
I don't remember what it was, but I saved like for six months for a fax machine. You know, they put it on layaway and I would go pay, take them the money. And I think it was 1200 bucks. It wasn't a lot of money. But, but it's about making sure you keep mentally confident. So protecting your confidence so you can keep moving forward. But, and I think people, have you ever met anybody that's really guarded and very private? Sure. And I understand why people are that way, but I think they never get to intimacy because they, they kind of put that wall up and you can have a surface relationship, but it's not going to be as deep. And I think deep is better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Early on in the pandemic, we spent most of our time, of course, at home. I particularly began reading a lot more than I ever have. Um, and one of the subjects that I gravitated most to was leadership and coaching. One of the overall themes that I discovered, and I was, I was reading books about coaching in the context of sports. I'm a big sports fan, Same ask way. anyone around the office. A lot of the books I was reading were about, in particular, basketball coaches yeah. um, and their experiences. Yeah. Uh, one of the themes that I discovered, and this may seem obvious in hindsight, is that there is no one-size-fits-all way to motivate every type of employee that you have. Every member has a unique role and personality and what drives them so Leaders have to find different ways of getting the most out of everyone. What works for Michael Jordan doesn't necessarily work for Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and, and everyone else. So do you have any advice for managers on basically how to figure out, figuring out the different kinds of performers on your team? It, it, does it start with that realness and getting to know those things? That's what I think. I mean, I think it's about if you can get to intimacy with somebody, and by that I mean just talk about more than surface things. I mean, if you, like i got to ask you, are you Jets or Giants? I'm actually neither. Uh, I Cowboys? grew up a Giants fan. I'm not a Cowboys fan. Okay. Um, I, I grew up a Giants fan. I took a couple of years off from the NFL, and I'm just starting to get back into the last couple of years. Most of what I like about football stems from fantasy football. So do you have a team, a favorite team? Not not necessarily okay. all. I, I watch a lot of different games yeah, okay. in a given weekend. Um, and I root for players and yeah. basically the guys on my fantasy team. Got it. Got um, but I think, the, going back to motivating, I, sure. I, I think everybody, we're all a product of our experiences, Right. You've got people that didn't get along with their dad. They didn't get along with their mom. They've got fractured families. You've got some people that have had just a wonderful family life. You've had people that have lost a father or a mother early in their life. You're all, you become a function or a compilation of, of, of what your life experiences have been. So I think if you can get to open, honest dialogue with someone to where the barriers come down, it's so easy to see how to motivate them. And so I just think it's about getting to know them and letting them know that you care. I do. Okay. One of the questions you asked most of the legends was what advice they would give to people just starting their real estate careers. But not at all advice is good advice. And for the record, I think the, 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 the advice that we had gotten from 
the legends was really good. Yes. Um, what I'm curious about though is what kind of advice that you've heard over the years, maybe something that continues to persist uh, as as the years progress. What kind of advice do you hear that isn't necessarily beneficial? Um, do you have an example of something that maybe has good intentions but isn't entirely helpful? I've had advice in my life where um, people have come from a, a side of trying to protect me. And so they would talk me out of opportunity or talk me away from it for fear of risk. Because real estate business is the risk business. It's about understanding the risk and having conviction about the opportunity and then just saying, I think this will work and then doing it. Then once you do it, you figure out if it's going to work or not once you get into it. But so I would say the negative uh, recommendations that I've had that that I wish I wouldn't have listened to were, were more on the conservative side where someone like a parent, one of my, like my dad or my mom or, or somebody like that that's trying to mentor me talked me out of being a little bit more aggressive in business. I think their, their heart was definitely in the right position or sure. in the, coming from the right place, but I would say that. I, I think in life you have to go with your gut. And if you don't listen to your gut, you'll regret it every time. Because I think your gut, I think it's the Holy Spirit or God that's leading you. I do. And, and you know, if you don't believe in God, then it's your gut telling you. And if you just go back and look at the times when your intuition said, I should do this, and you went against it, it never works out for me, ever. So that, that I think, is you've got to follow your instincts. And... When you don't, I think it doesn't work. It never has worked for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, following my gut, my instinct, my intuition um, is essentially what got me to Dallas. Right. Um, I had an opportunity professionally that, that came up to go in a different direction than I was. I took it and I've been here since 2015 now. Um, and it's a great place, right? Don't you love yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. It, it's a city that... And I think the, the further out you get, it's not necessarily a destination city. I know I have friends that, yeah. oh, well, can we go to Austin instead of Dallas? Well, I live in Dallas and Austin's a few hours away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely been a change for the better. Certainly not as fast paced as what I was used to previously, but yeah, I've been able to carve out a niche and a, and a home and, and a life here that's been really good. Bill, Dallas is a city, and I, I look at it as a city of opportunity, right? Um, there's prettier places, right? Ge geographically, there's, there's uh, but this is a place that like you come from the, the Northeast, I come from the Midwest. People welcome you here. They're glad to have you. And yeah. if you add value, the door's wide open. And, um, it's not clickish. It's very welcoming. And I, I tell people all the time that like I meet with these young kids that are getting out of school and they're, they're thinking they want to stay in Dallas. I just, you know, I don't think there's a better business environment anywhere in the country than Dallas because the people are so Dallas is a big city, but yet it's small. Everybody kind of knows. Yeah, everybody. absolutely. And as far as those young professionals goes, I'll ask the flip side of that initial question. 
what would you say is the best advice to give to someone just starting out in this industry? We'll go with the question that we ask the the legends in their yeah. in their one on ones. Yeah, um, I would say, you know, you've got to value your reputation. And I, you know, I beat this up, but it's so true. I mean, if you're not reliable, it, nothing's going to work out. So it's about being in the right spot, being with the right people, and being a person that's reliable. I always tell people that, like these young people, go and be the most reliable, hardworking person so that you show up. Because once you start, people start paying attention to you, doors will come, will open up. Like I can tell you that my revenue or my income was directly correlated to one, me stopping chasing money and focusing on the client and two, work ethic, working harder. Seems it was weird. The more effort I put in, the better it got. When we think about motivation and coaching, or at least when I do, (laughs) I tend to think of it in the context of a senior leader like yourself, motivating, coaching, giving advice to a younger professional like myself. But people need motivation at all career levels. Even high-performing CEOs like yourself who've reached the proverbial career mountaintops. At this stage of your career, I'm really curious because we are just going through that year-end, early new year goal-setting time period. What how, how do you continue to stay motivated? Does it come naturally? Do you have to sort of psych yourself up? Uh, is it the name on the building? Is it the employees that work under you? How do you continue to stay driven? Um, you know, every Sunday night, I get excited about coming back to work on Monday. So you get the opposite of the Sunday scaries. Yeah, no, I, I can't. <laughs> right, I can't. That's amazing. I can't really wait. Is. Even at my age, I'm, you know, mid sixties and, and I, I'm excited on Sunday night to go back to work. That's great. I will also tell you, I feel obligated to my team to, um, one, take care of them. Um, the other thing I would say is I don't look at life as, as in my age context. I think the same way I thought when I was in my thirties. And it's, it's about staying active and being productive and being relevant. You know, I've kind of got, I'm going in five-year increments for me. And I'm, as long as I'm relevant, I'm, I like to work. So I'm better off working. I mean, what would I go do? I mean, I like golf, but I'm a marginal golfer. I mean, could I play golf every day? No way. But so I, I think it's about, um, and the other thing is, I'm at a point in my career where I've had some success so I can also give back because it's important to me now to leave this place better off. Not, I don't want any legacy. I don't want, I don't care about any of that. I don't want anybody saying this or that about me, but I do think it's our obligation to making our industry and our world better off by your efforts. So giving back, giving to young people, giving, you know, that's a real big driver for me. Keep working because it keeps my platform. At this point in your career, what would you say you still have left to accomplish? Like, what? how do you think about your own goals at, at this stage? 
you know, I think one thing, um, I've kind of figured out what I'm not good at. So I stay away from all that. I try to not ever get diverted. My goals, are, this is not going to sound great, but it's, you know, I want to do everything or I want to take advantage of every opportunity that comes to me that should be done. Now, there's a lot of times you look at an opportunity and once you give it analyzed, it's something you shouldn't do. It's too risky or not enough return for the risk. It just doesn't make sense. So I think being disciplined, but what I, I want to do is I want to be out front. I want to be out front in development and design. I kind of want to see, okay, what do they want now post COVID? What is it that I'm going to put in my buildings that make the tenants happier? I go sit in my buildings and sit in a common area early in the morning with a cup of coffee. And I watch people come and go to work. And I watch what I've built and see what they're using and they're not using. And I do it in the evenings. I'll go there at five o'clock and watch everybody leave and see like, okay, if you built the bocce ball court, is anybody using it? If you built, you know, what all the amenities that I've built, what is it that it, people are really embracing? And then I sit and visit. I like if I'm out in a common area and visit and just get feedback from people. So I don't want to follow, I want to lead. That's what drives me. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank Mark Gibson of JLL Capital Markets, Sue Ansel of Gables Residential, and Bill Cauley of Cauley Partners for chatting with us. I'd also like to recognize the Dallas Business Journal for its support of Legends of Commercial Real Estate. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media and YouTube as well for more exclusive content, news, and updates from around the Real Estate Council. We'll link to everything down in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.